That is in the top, probably my vault of top five favorite hymns. And we played that, I asked for that specifically today as we reflect leading into the 4th of July, that we live in a country where I think to say that there's tension is an understatement. Yet we, we read the words of that hymn, a mighty fortress is our God. It's beautiful. It is just. That a fortress is there to protect and defend. But there are times we also miss the point that a fortress and a kingdom is also there to provide. Right? A, a kingdom that doesn't provide for its people is a kingdom that dies. And, and too often this hymn is played, I may be so bold and I don't mean to offend, incorrectly. Because for a lot of people they think a mighty fortress is the United States of America. That's not what the hymn means. Though we celebrate our independence this week, and that is a good thing to celebrate, our independence from the tyranny that was, we also have to be honest to where we are. And there's little tyrannies all over the place. We have little tyrannies in us. To, to focus on the idea of freedom and to focus on that, 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 that you know, this freedom we need to celebrate and we, we're going to, we're going <laughs> to, to me, it always makes a, not a lot of sense because I have a lot of EMT and firefighter friends that they go, it's the two things that we celebrate our country with, uh, unfortunately, drinking a lot of alcohol and then blowing stuff up. And they, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's how we celebrate. So if you're celebrating that way, be smart and be safe. That's my get off my soapbox. But we celebrate freedom ultimately every day in Christ. It's the freedom from sin. And it's a call to action. That a fortress, a kingdom that calls its subjects, its people to action is the kingdom of God. That we are called to do something about the freedom that we have. And it's not to oppress, right? It's not to conquer. It's actually quite simple, yet it's ridiculously hard. We're called to love. If I speak of tongues of men and of angels, but have not loved, I am just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I have to the poor and deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Now there's a set of verses a lot of us could probably say in our sleep, love is patient. I'm not going to have you do that for the whole thing. But love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never ends. So this week as we celebrate our independence as a country, and it is right that we do that, let us remember the freedom we have in Christ from sin to bring others into that. And this 4th of July, I'm going to wreck it for all of you and myself. This week, read these verses again. And I know I've said to do this before, and it's a great reminder. Where the word love is, Put your first name. 
Let that be the gut check of how you are living out your freedom from sin and your love for the world for the hope and sake of Jesus Christ. Not that it's dependent on us, but we're called to do that. I will do that for myself. Again, don't do it for your neighbor and remind them of that. Do it for you. But I also do it for Munster Church. Munster Church is patient. Munster Church is kind. Munster Church does not envy. Munster Church does not boast. Munster Church is not arrogant or rude. And I say that in light that we're going to open a brand new building in a couple weeks. Let us remember this. Munster Church does not insist in its own way. Munster Church is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. Munster Church bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, in that Munster Church will never end according to the will of Jesus Christ. So on this Independence Day, remember we have freedom in this country. We do. But more importantly, we have freedom from sin. And we're called to love and bring people into a relationship with the one who does that. That is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, for this independence that we celebrate this week, we give you thanks. And for the men and women that fought to give us that independence as a country, we never want to take it for granted and we never want to forget. For those in this congregation that were active in the military, those that are veterans in this congregation or represent family of veterans, we give you thanks. Father, that a church like this could stand through all of those conflicts, almost 153 years, every conflict won, standing on a stronger foundation to be a church. But Father, that pales in comparison to the foundation of Christ that this church has stood on, never perfectly, but as a means of grace. To be a place where the gospel is proclaimed, where love and mercy is shared, where reconciliation and forgiveness is apparent. May that be so always at this church. Always for those that call it home. For those that are joining, those in the process, and those that will be joining and we don't even know when. Father, all this is your doing. May we just be faithful. Faithful in loving others. Faithful in your word and the gospel and faithful in bringing your word to wherever you call us to go. We want to celebrate that too. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We all agree and said, amen. In their distress, they called out to the eternal. He saved them from their misery. He rescued them from the darkness, delivered them from the deepest gloom of death. He shattered their iron chains. May they erupt with praise and give thanks to the Eternal in honor of his loyal love and all the wonders he has performed for humankind. continue our Summer of Psalms series. We're in book five of the, of the Summer of Psalms. We are in Psalm 111. 
And this is a really simple psalm, though there's a lot of nuance to it. But I'm going to start by asking, okay? And again, this is hopefully a place we're not going to actively lie. For any of us, when we, get, when we are given a set of instructions, okay, I'm going to bring up one that I just, I have a very love-hate relationship with, and that is our good friends from Sweden, uh, not as a country, but in the store, Ikea. Though we've used their furniture, we love their furniture, I can't stand their instructions. Now, a lot of you are instantly judging me because they're pictures, and you think that I'm an idiot. Fair, right? Probably justified, and you probably thought that already before I even brought this up, and that's fine. But undoubtedly, and I don't even think that's a word, but you get it, I will miss one piece because I'm going way too fast, because I believe I know, because I have a deep pride in me that this instruction from Ikea will never beat me. Yet at the end of every project, it is pointed out to me, I will leave the person unnamed. You did this wrong. And I, I fall, I, I spiral out because I've allowed this instruction to beat me. How many of us, when we're given instructions, A, just throw them out? I appreciate a lot of firstborns that are holding their hand up right now uh, in your family. How many of us get a couple steps in, go, I got this, and then throw them out? Good. How many of you, notice how I didn't say us, how many of you work every part of the instructions and do it through completion? Honor yourselves this morning. Yeah, thank you, Garrett, for raising your hand before I even got done with the question. I wish I could be like you guys, you third group, but I am not. And I've learned time and time again to do that. But I don't, because there are times I get an instruction, right? I get, I get a word, I, I see part of it, and I go, I'll figure out the rest. I'll figure it out as we go. It's one of the greatest moments of my life and in my marriage when I have received my wife's help in doing these things. The last couple IKEA projects, we've done them together. And in the very beginning, it was very much a test of our marriage. Uh, I'll be very honest with that. And maybe after the first or second one, we didn't talk for a couple days. But we made up. And the last couple we've done, it's actually been quite fun to work on them together. Because asking for that help, asking for someone to center you on a certain piece of the process is always a good thing to do. And really what it does, it calls out the hypocrisy in me because I'm really good at reminding all of you that we're not supposed to do this Christian life alone to seek help and all of those things. Oh, but a year or so ago, before I invited my wife's help, or I should say, before I received my wife's help and accepted it, I would do it on my own. Psalm 111 is the instructions for all of us, no matter what group you're in, to see it through, to follow the steps, but to keep your focus on one main thing. Because the Psalms are an array of songs, right? The, the, the styles of these songs go from 
In my distress, come save me, right? In my distress, go kill them. In my distress, I need you. In my distress, I stand on your promises. And everywhere in between. And then you get Psalms, like Psalm 111, that keeps the first thing first. And it's so simple. It is. And I could probably read this Psalm every Sunday because it would be right that we do. Because it focuses us on the right thing. It focuses us on the Lord. We're called to focus on the Lord. To trust in him with all of our heart. Lean not on our own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I should read that every time I get a new project that I have to complete. Because it keeps me focused on the right things. So we'll be in Psalm 111. We're going to work through the whole psalm, all ten verses. And I love how this starts out. About 35% of the the 150 psalms start out with, praise the Lord. I love that. It gets us right there. How many of us say that, you don't have to raise your hands, when we wake up every morning? Praise the Lord. I know I don't, especially when I get woken up early. I am thinking the opposite, right? Lord, end whoever woke me up. But we should start. Praise the Lord. Then the psalmist continues. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. We're going to stop there. We're not even one verse in. But how many people know, either someone in your life or you, there are times that you half heart something. Now, you could use another word. Thank you, Doug, for being the only one to raise your hand so far. Uh, But we could use another word that's derogatory, and I can't say from the pulpit. But how many of us at times can half-heart something? Okay? Notice how I stopped with, do we know somebody? Because a lot of you put your hands up. I made it about you. But we do know people that are like that, right? We call them insincere, right? They're they're, uh, halfway Charlies, right? Which is a slogan I just made up. And so, but you get it. That there are people that don't do things truly. They don't do things with their whole heart. And how do, when, when we interact with people like that, or we find we are like that, what are some of the feelings that kind of rise up to people that do things in a half-hearted way? Annoyed. <laughs> sure. Others? Anger, okay, anything else? When you know someone is doing something half-hearted, whether it's a job, whether it's something they said, the way they're living their life, we have annoyed, we have anger, frustrated, sadness, disappointed, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Others? Slacker. We start to name call them. Absolutely. Yes. Yep, absolutely. Nancy, I'm right there with you. I may not say it, but we sure think it, don't we? Absolutely. Larry's like, no, she says it. Okay, fair enough. Others. What? Not going out for coffee with them. So it's even changing the way Max lives. Like, he, oh, not worth it. Okay? We'll work on that. Almost ex-elder. When it comes to that 
But if we're being honest, it's all of us. That there are times we all do this in different stages of life for different reasons and different justifications. So let's keep reading. Give thanks to, I will give thanks to the, to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation here. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delighted in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful. Pause there. Leave it up. That last section. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. What would the world look like if that was always our mentality? Remembering what God has done and knowing that he's caused wondrous works. There's a lot of times we look at and we may pick out the things we wish God was doing better or the things or situations or areas that we go, I don't see God in that at all. That's not what the psalmist wants us to think about. The psalmist wants us to think and be ever-present in our mind the works of the Lord. Salvation, miracles, creation, you, me, love, the covenant of marriage, children. The opportunity to work, right? The opportunity to till the soil. The opportunity to grow a church. The opportunity to meet the needs of the hungry There are a lot of times I don't think about those things. But notice, that's what should be remembered. And if we woke up every day and lived our lives every day, remembering that the Lord is gracious and merciful, and if I believe that, I should walk in it, meaning I should be gracious and merciful, I have a feeling the world would just, it wouldn't look a little different the world would look a lot of different. What if believers today lived out graciousness and mercy above anything else? What what are the things that they're going to put that above? Hey, this is going to stink for all of us. Grudges, demanding our own way, uh, control, What if we dropped those things to second and third place in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, in our hands, and in our feet, and we walked out grace and mercy? I know there are some of you that automatically think, I'm not going to be a doormat. That sounds terrible because I want to have power. I want to have authority. Nothing says you can't have that. What does power look like redeemed? By grace and mercy. Look at it just in your job. Don't don't throw across the aisle. In your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in your neighborhood. What you have the power of Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does that look like if you lead with grace and mercy instead of control and power? Very interesting. It's a hard slate to kind of put ourselves up against. I think the psalmist knows that he's going to continue to help us out. Go. 
He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his work, works in giving them the inheritance of the nation. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All the precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Leave it. So now he's taken a layer down. He's given us a couple steps further. He provides for us. Okay, I'm going to pause here for a second. I'm going to do something that I was not planning on doing. A couple people, look at this paragraph. What is one word that jumps out to you? I'm looking for something specific, I know, blah, blah, blah. But what about you? What jumps out to you? A couple people. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I think it's important. Because words matter. Covenant. Oh, good reformed person. Absolutely. Yes, covenant. And in context, he remembers his covenant forever. The covenant of grace. Though this is the psalm, so this is the covenant that comes with the Messiah. The covenant here, right, as we work through all those covenants, is the covenant that I will be with you. Right, that God is going to provide. He's going to keep a people. He's going to grow his people. He will come and save his people, the messianic covenant. Okay, what else? Doug always talks. Who else? Faithful. Now, what's interesting here is the wor- which faithful? Well, I guess you said faithful, not faithfulness. Duh. Okay, so the works of his hands are faithful and just. So in his hands are grace mercy, and justice. God's about justice. Unfortunately, the evil will get theirs in the end. That's why we hope to change the heart of the evil. But that is present in our world today. And justice is a part of God's plan. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. God's not going to call us to do it if he's not going to be it. And he is justice himself. Others trustworthy. Give him a high five. Right. So, call I'm going to take out to lunch. We're just going to go to Jimmy John's. And so, um, for people that don't know, that's where he works. And so, we'll get it for free. And so, understand, trustworthy, that's what knocked me down a little bit when I read this psalm this week. All his precepts, precepts are thoughts played out into actions. His vision walked out Because God's vision, spoiler alert, always walks out. Because it's God's vision. His precepts, his visions, what he wants for his people are trustworthy. I'm going to make a connection to the beginning. If his precepts are trustworthy, then why are we going to do anything in our faith half-heartedly? I think it's because we struggle with that word. Because so many things in our life are not trustworthy. Or at least that's how we perceive them or we've been hurt by them. Relationships, marriages, families, things have happened where, and I've heard it, I've heard it from you guys when we've sat down and talked, that there's this this trouble with trust in our culture today. We can't trust anything. Think about, if you're married today, think about your marriage. Hopefully, you trust uh, your your spouse. 
Now, I'm not going to dive into what that looks like because we'll be here until the 4th of July, and I know you don't want that. But that's a whole other sermon series. Mike, we'll probably get to it in 2037, you know, or we'll, that's a probably important one. We'll, we'll bring it up. But this idea of trustworthy, we're very scared to trust. I've done, I'm looking around, at least seven couples in here. I've done their premarital in the last five years. Don't raise your hand because you're probably not going to like what comes next. Trust gets brought up all the time. That's not me breaking confidentiality. That's just part of marriage and getting prepared for marriage is trust. Those of us in here that have been married over 35 years, your trust level in your spouse looks very different than those that are in their first five years of marriage. Those of us that have kids, we always say that trust needs to be, say it louder, earned. Trust needs to be earned. That is a culture, and that is something we have developed as a, as a people that is good, right? It's good that I tell my boys, trust needs to be earned. Where do we pull that from? We pull that from Scripture. No, we don't. That God has been, always been trustworthy, and we have the faith to believe it. We've made that about people because people are sinful, and so are we. So when we go half-hearted in our faith, and this is a weak record, it's because we don't trust God wholly. We don't trust him fully. We don't trust that he's God all the time. There are times we know better. Wah, wah. That's not the faith. That's not what this psalm's talking about. This, this, this psalm, this song, this anthem is talking about the fact that God is, ha- is, always will be, always has been trustworthy. Jim, how can you say that? You lost your sister when she was 36. How can you trust God? My marriage fell apart a couple years into it. You know, that's just not mine. Carrie and I, 15 years, we're doing good. But, you know, that could be your story. I haven't talked to my kid in 10 years. How in the world can God be trustworthy when I'm hurting? Because there's sin in the world. Because there's brokenness and sorry, because you're broken, because I'm broken. That's why his precepts are trustworthy. Nowhere in there does it say that yours are. If I could sit down with all of you and you could sit down with me, say all your thoughts, your words, and your deeds of the past two days have been trustworthy. What kind of conversation would that be? Really awkward. Extremely awkward. Because we don't do it, because we're sinful. Because that sin wants to get out. That sin wants to get out, but he gives us a better way. He gives us the understanding that everything he has done, everything he has been, all that he is, is trustworthy. You see why that jumped out at me this week? Because we struggle with trust. But how did this psalm start? Praise the Lord. Wait, I have brokenness in my life. 
my marriage is on the rocks, my relationship with my kids, my job, I don't have one now, or whatever it is. Praise the Lord. I got to go on unemployment. Praise the Lord. I haven't talked to my kids in 10 years. Praise the Lord. And I know for me, there are times it's hard to praise the Lord. But just like when we have the plans, the one thing I'll give the Swedes and Ikea is they see the plan through completion. Never have I ever put something together via, via Ikea where at the end it just goes, psych, and you, you're only half done. They've never done that. It would be a terrible product model, right? If they only gave us half instructions and then the rest, figure it out on your own or whatever that is in Swedish. We wouldn't even understand it. Let's finish the psalm. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Why does praising the God have to endure? What does endure mean? Endure means tested. Endure means hard. When you have to endure something, I think about the two years I played high school football and we had to endure three a days. Now that's not a thing anymore, but we had to go three different practices every day in the smog that is the Chicagoland area in July. I think of sports, you have to endure pain, you have to endure conditioning. No one really likes that, right? If you ever had an athlete come to you and say, coach, can we do more conditioning? You're going to think they're a psycho. But you have to endure. And I bet that if I sat down with everybody that's been married 35 years, they had to endure a lot. But their trust is there because of their faith in God. Why won't do marriages when they're unevenly yoked? It doesn't make any sense because you're both attached to two different things. It doesn't work. You're off from the beginning. Where are you going to be 35 years from now, right? But I love that last sentence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which is pretty much the entire book of Proverbs, which I already have a sermon series written, and that will get there. Those who practice it have a good understanding his praise endures forever. So this July 2nd, 2023, if you're praising the Lord and it is awesome and you're in a season of life where you're just, you're, you're doing it, right? You're, you're just every day, you feel connected, you feel rejuvenated by the Spirit, you have a clear vision for your life and you're going, I'm gonna throw the, the five gentlemen that got their lots cast last week that your life's been going. That's a big change, right? I'm going to try to find all of you, right? It's a big change. Ryan, I see you in the back. That's God going, okay, you're doing this, but mm, I got you here. And thank you for leaving your names up to being faithful. But that's a season of enduring. And maybe you're in that place. Maybe enduring is the best that you got. That's okay. Because his praises are forever.
Friends, that's the gift of salvation found in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus offers you. That when praises come easy, praise the Lord. When the praises are enduring and it's hard, maybe we can just squeak it out. Praise the Lord. So my challenge, how are you praising the Lord in your life? Let's pray. Father, for your word, it's tough. Because we walk through this life and we never forget to praise you for it. That we have a job to do. You've given us a mission. Bigger than our jobs, bigger than our family, bigger than whatever it is on earth for the gospel. Because that's what matters. So whether we're praising the Lord or we're praising the Lord, we thank you for meeting us in this place. Now as we go forth, may we continue in praise and in love. And a love that changes lives. A love that points to you. And we thank you for loving us. We pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand if you are able. We're about to sing Standing on the Promises. And the promises is a faithful God who's got you, always have had you, always will have you to the day you're with him in glory. Praise the Lord. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, which always passes our understanding. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.